If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Galatians. We continue our journey through this letter. We are almost completed through it. This is the penultimate sermon, which if you know your grammar and your foreign language means it's the second to last sermon. It's not the ultimate sermon. That will be delivered uh, by Kurt on the final section of Galatians chapter 6. But our text this evening is in Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask that you would reach us with your word. That even as we look to your eternal word, that is written to us for our good, that we would be changed that we would be formed more and more into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. There is never a time in which we believe we are more likely to accomplish great things than at the outset. As we are beginning, before we undertake a great task, We have visions of grandeur. We think nothing will stand in our way and we will persevere on and complete anything that is before us. A good example of that might be if you've ever taken a long trip with the family in the car. You know you're going to try to drive 12 or 14 hours and you say to yourself as you get into the car and you grab the wheel, you know, we're going to stop very infrequently for breaks. We're going to keep going on. We're going to stay in traffic and we're going to get ahead of pace and be exactly where we need to be. And then as the hours go on, you begin to say to yourself, oh, I need a break. Oh, I'm never going to make this. And maybe there comes a point where you just say, before you've reached your destination, I think we just need to quit. Quick, get on your phone, look and find us a hotel. We really need a hotel. I just need to stop and be done. You know, this happens to people. In the stress of life, in the difficulties and challenges, we're tempted to quit. 
This can even happen on a place as dangerous as the battlefield. We hear stories of soldiers in the midst of a battle with bullets whizzing around them and explosions around them. They drop their gun, they take off their helmet, and they say for all to hear, I quit. I'm done. I don't advise that. It's not very safe. And I think that's also true of other things, especially in the ministry. This is not abnormal. If you have grown weary in doing good, as Paul talks about, if you have been tempted to quit, if you have found a time in which you've said, I need to just put this all behind me, you're not alone. There's a dirty little secret that most pastors quit on most Mondays. Now the good news is, By Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, they're raring and ready to go for the rest of the week. But we can grow weary. Paul gives us encouragement here from the Lord. The very first thing that I want us to see here and to be comforted by is that God knows that we grow weary. God knows our context Now, do you see this passage which talks about growing weary? Do you see the context that it's set in? Paul is speaking to those who are spiritual. He's not speaking to those who are caught up in sin. Remember, last week we looked at the beginning of this chapter. And Paul said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul's talking to those who are spiritual those who are encouragers, those who are helpers. He's not talking to those who are caught in sin, mired down in the challenges of life. He's talking to those who in chapter 5, he's encouraged to continue walking by the Spirit. So it's not those who are unprepared for the Christian life who grow weary. It's those who are engaged in the Christian life and in the ministry of the Christian life who are tend to grow weary. It's not for sub-Christians or lazy Christians that they need to be told to buck up, stop saying that you're weary, stop complaining and press on. No. There's no shallow faith here. Paul is speaking directly to those who are strong and involved in ministry. Now, there is no reason for Paul to address this concern at this point in the letter unless it was a logical problem that would occur naturally. Some commentators see this section and they wonder why it's here. As if maybe it's some kind of general maxim that Paul wants to get off his chest. He just sticks it here in the end before he's done. Almost like a kind of postscript. But I don't think that's how we should read this. We should take a more natural reading in that Paul knows that as we are involved in following the Lord Jesus Christ and in conducting ourselves in the ministry of the Lord's church, we are going to grow weary. Paul's concern here is not for those who have a show of faith, but who fail to fulfill the law, as it were. But his concern is instead for believers who are doing what God has commanded, but who are disheartened and tired. Now, the language points to this. Look with me at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, 
Now this, grammatically, is what is called a present participle. That's important because the ones who are doing good are doing good right now. It's in the present tense. It's not that you did good in the past or that you were doing good in the future. No, it's those who are active right now in doing well. That's who Paul is speaking to. The point is that he is exhorting us not to start doing good, but rather to have the courage to continue on. He tells us that God knows that we grow weary. He tells us this in the context that's before us. It's a context of encouragement. The Lord is speaking to us through His servant Paul. He's speaking to the covenant community of the church. He's speaking in terms of humility. Notice that Paul's words here are not harsh. You know, it doesn't really help when someone comes alongside you and says, you know, you need to be doing this. I do this all the time. It's easy for me to do this. Why can't you get with the program? That actually just further discourages you, doesn't it? That's not what Paul does here. Paul comes alongside the Galatians and he comes alongside us and he says, I know you can grow weary of doing good. God knows it. Now, this is important for you and for me because if we're honest with ourselves, when we grow weary we tend to think it is our fault that we grow weary. We think that we're doing something wrong, that we're failing the Lord, that we're not holding up our end of the bargain. But that's not true here. Paul tells us what makes us weary. He starts in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the first thing that can make us grow weary is a lack of, of support. And he gives the example of teachers, teachers who are doing good, teachers who are teaching the faith, who are actively involved in building others up. Now, this highlights for us the importance of teaching the Word of God, that even if there is hardship involved in such teaching, we are still to take it on. We are not to grow weary in that. The one who is taught the Word is to share good things with the one who teaches. But the thing is, is that in the daily battle that we have, we can grow discouraged, especially when we're not appreciated. It's very difficult to continue to do good, isn't it, when you're unappreciated. Perhaps you might think of a time around a Christmas when you bought your child a toy. And you spent all night putting that toy together. And if you're anything like me, you failed several times. You cut yourself with the screwdriver. You finally get it together. You determine you need to actually read the instructions. And you get it together after a long and weary night. And you put it and wrap it and put it under the tree. And your child wakes up the next morning, rips open the wrapping paper, opens up the toy and says, Oh, this is great. And then puts it aside. And you think, Why did I even bother with that? And then your second thought may be, I'm never doing that again. I'm not going to spend the entire night up. He held that toy for like 30 seconds. Why am I bothering? It's unappreciative. But this also happens to children as well, doesn't it? Have you ever 
as a child, worked very hard to surprise your parents with something. And you come and you bring it to them. It could be a craft. It could be something that you've written. It could be anything. And when you come and bring it to them, they are busy with something else. And they say, oh, yeah, 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 that's good. I'll take a look at that later. And you think, well, why am I bothering? They don't care about this. You see, we can grow weary when we're unappreciated. And it's not just being unappreciated when we realize that there are present sufferings that we experience because of doing good. Often doing good deeds places us in harm's way. We have to go no further than the Apostle Paul for an example of this. That's all of Paul's life in the ministry. His life is one of grief and suffering. Think about what Paul does. He goes from city to city, planting church upon church. And then as soon as he leaves, there's all sorts of problems that crop up. And often, as is the case here in Galatia, there's a lack of gratitude. They begin to criticize him. To think that he's not really worthy. That others can teach better. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul gives us an example of someone who could have grown weary in well-doing. Another thing that God tells us that he knows is that oftentimes the reward seems far off. Look at verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And again in verse 9, For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Now, here in Katy, Texas, we need to understand the concept of reaping. You see, reaping is what the farmer does. The farmer plants the seed and then spends week upon week, month upon month, Fertilizing, watering, cultivating, weeding, until finally that day comes when he can reap, gain the benefit of all of that work with the harvest. You see, we're used to reaping immediately. We can't wait five minutes for something, let alone months. Now, you may say, Pastor, I'm not a farmer, I don't understand that. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a job? And have you ever had a job, like most jobs, that pays in arrears? You know what I mean by that? You start a job full of energy and ready to go, and you work, and you work hard. Perhaps you even work overtime that first week. The end of that first week comes, and the boss comes and passes out paychecks to everybody but you. Why? Well, because you're paid in arrears. You have to wait until the next week to get your paycheck for the week before. You've done all that work and you've got nothing to show for it. Now, if it's your first job and you're not used to this, you may give up. You may say, what am I working for? I wonder if I'm ever going to be paid. But you see, we have to look forward to the reaping that will come. The hard work is there in the beginning. And we need to have patience. That's what James tells us in James chapter 5. Verses 7 through 11. And this is especially helpful for us as Americans. 
As modern Americans, we are not used to waiting for anything. When was the last time you complained about how slow your phone was because you pressed to open an application and it took all of three seconds to open instead of instantly? We complain about these things. That's who we are. It's what we're used to. Well, God knows that we grow weary, but He also blesses us and helps us because God gives us the means not to grow weary. He doesn't leave us to deal with this uh, by ourselves. Let's look again at verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Again here, the tense of the verb is crucial. We will reap. It's a future tense. Paul could have said, we may reap. We might reap. But he doesn't. There's certainty here. Our labor is not in vain. There is a reaping that will occur. And do you notice how Paul personalizes this for us? In verse 9, let us not grow weary. We will reap if we do not give up. Paul is identifying with the Galatians and us. The beginning of this chapter, Paul addresses the church as brothers. And then he begins to speak in the third person of the one who teaches and the one who is taught, the one who sows. But now here, he brings us to himself and he says, we will reap if we do not give up. And this is true even when we are in the midst of conflict. Paul says something very similar to this in his second letter to the Thessalonians, the third chapter, the 13th verse. In there, there is conflict in the church in Thessalonica. And Paul tells the Thessalonians that they should not grow weary, that they should persevere on in the face of this conflict. Paul's reminding us that this is a great danger to you and to me. We are prone to giving up. We are prone to growing weary. We need to expect this. And at the same time, don't expect that the church will be different than other places in your life. I think sometimes we think, well, yes, I could understand growing weary at my job. Or schooling my children or in working around the house. But in the church, everything should be different. Everyone should always be happy all the time and always willing to go the extra mile to help others and would never, ever grow weary. But that's just simply not true. If we're actively involved in the work of the ministry and in the church, we're pouring ourselves out even to a greater extent than in other areas of our life. We're opening ourselves up even more to other people. We are actually more likely to grow weary, more likely to be discouraged. We expect and are not surprised by conflict in the office. But in the church... We expect others to ignore us and to be unthankful at home and at work. But in the church, you see, we need to remember that in the church, we can grow weary. So God gives us the means not to grow weary. The first thing that he gives to us is a warning. It's explicit in verse 7. Do not be deceived. This is a very stern phrase. 
Paul doesn't say, now, you know, it wouldn't be best for you to grow weary. You know, if you grow weary, you won't flourish. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, don't make this mistake. No, he says, do not be deceived. And the interesting thing is, this is the only place in this entire letter that Paul uses this strong phrase. You would think when he's talking about circumcision, or the Judaizers, or justification, or adoption, he would say, do not be deceived. You're justified by faith. But he doesn't. He saves it here. And it is a sharp phrase. He uses the same phrase in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says, Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 21 tells us, Do not be deceived by false Christs. And James and perhaps one of the sternest warnings in all of the scriptures, tells us, do not be deceived, sin leads to death. So this is as sharp as Paul could possibly be. And he says, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And this phrase here is a literary phrase. God is not mocked. It has as its origins, as its roots, the idea of turning up your nose at someone. It's, this reminds me, for example, of the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember the story on Mount Carmel? It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Where Elijah says, you prophets of Baal, call down fire from heaven from Baal. And I will call down fire from the Lord. And we'll see who is God. And the prophets of Baal dance around and they cut themselves and they chant and they do all sorts of things for hours on end and they're exhausted. And Elijah looks at them and he says, you know, maybe you need to speak up. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's having a snack. Maybe he had to go visit the bathroom. You just, you need to try harder. This is a mocking. Elijah is mocking the idea that Baal is even a god. And what Paul is telling you is, don't have that way of thinking. Don't turn up your nose at God. Don't think God is insufficient. Don't think God is not watching, that God is not persevering with you, that God is not empowering you. And he says, whatever one sows, that also he will reap. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap rotting corruption. If you slow, sow to the Spirit, you will reap life. We saw this in chapter 5. As Paul told us that we are not to indulge the flesh, but rather to live by the Spirit. Because to sow to the flesh brings weariness, death, and despair. But to sow to the Spirit, to continue to do good, to follow the commandments of God brings life, eternal life. And remember what eternal life is. I fear that often when we hear the phrase eternal life, we think of heaven. We think of something to come. But for the Christian, eternal life is right now. You possess eternal life by faith 
in Jesus Christ. It's not something that you wait for. God gives it to you right now. And there's an implicit warning that Paul gives to us in verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so the implicit warning there is, if we lose heart, if we give up, we will not reap. So don't give up. Continue on. Another means that God gives to us is found in verse 10. Opportunities. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Paul tells us, God gives us opportunities for doing good, for ministry, so that we would not grow weary, so that we would see the effect that our life has upon others, so that we can be encouraged by opportunities to serve others. The Lord brings opportunities to you to help you to persevere. Have you ever thought about that? You see, we might think, no, what would help us to persevere is not to have these opportunities, to get a vacation, to get a break. Let me tell you, there is no vacation in the Christian life. There's no retirement in the Christian life. There's repurposement. And so we have opportunities from the Lord, ministry within the church, ministry without the church. Paul says to do good to everyone especially starting with those who are of the household of faith, but taking it beyond that, beyond the four walls of the church. The third and final thing that Paul says God gives to us is that God commands us not to grow weary. Now that sounds odd as a benefit, doesn't it? God knows we grow weary. He gives us means to deal with growing weary. And we don't expect a blessing to be a commandment not to grow weary. When we think about commandments, we think about things that are onerous, that come down upon us, that we have to do, that give us obligations. But God's commandments are for our good. Jesus' yoke is light, he tells us. The commandments that come to us are for our benefit. And so, In the very first thing that God commands us, He tells us to remember. To remember not to grow weary. It's not an option. It's not just that we don't grow weary so we can have a better life. No, this is not a new command. We are to go back to our first works. We are to follow and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are to persevere on in this. The way to be better, the way to feel better, is to continue on walking by the Spirit. And we have that in common with Paul. Paul did not grow weary in well-doing. And again, he went from place to place to place, from ministry to ministry to ministry taking on new challenges. And it's as if the more challenges you threw at Paul, the greater his perseverance was. The more he threw himself into the ministry. That's what the New Testament epistles are all about. 
We see this especially in Paul's ministry to the church at Corinth. He goes to the church at Corinth. He leaves and there are all kinds of problems. He spent a significant amount of time there. He writes them a letter and he says, you need to straighten up here. You need to remember what I've taught you from the beginning. And then things continue to not improve and he writes them yet another letter. And he says, I meant what I said. And then he goes and he visits them and perseveres with them. He doesn't give up on them. How can Paul do this? Well, you may be familiar with one of the more famous passages from the prophet Isaiah. The 40th chapter. It's a chapter that tells us that we are to wait upon the Lord. And that those who wait on the Lord will not what? Grow weary. But they will what? Renew their strength. Like on eagles' wings. And how will they do that? The Lord will perform it. So you see, when we do not grow weary, we don't need to find reserves of strength within ourselves. We don't need to set our forehead front-faced and simply gut it out. No, we trust the Lord. We go forward in the power of the Lord. And He has given to us His promise that we will not grow weary because He will strengthen us. The time is God's time. It's an interesting phrase here in verse 9. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Now, I've already told you that the verb tense there is a future tense. It will happen. But it will happen in due season. This means at just the right time. It's a very similar phrase to what Paul uses earlier in this book, in chapter 4, verse 4, when he says that Christ was born when the fullness of time had come. God knows exactly the right time. This word here for time is actually an interesting word for time. It doesn't mean the clock on the wall time. It's the word that we get our English word crisis from. It's just before the point of despair. God knows the right time. Now you may say, but I'm not sure I can make it, Pastor. Well, let me ask you this. If the God who knew the exact right time to send His Son, how could He not know the right time to keep you from weariness? If He knew the exactly perfect time to send the Savior of the world, how could he possibly be ignorant of your circumstances and your need? Well, God commands us to remember, to persevere on, and to finish well. You see, it is only those who are not fainting, those who are not giving up at the time, again, a present participle, they are the ones that God strengthens. We have to finish well. There's a story in the Bible that if you don't know it, you need to become familiar with it. Maybe you know a man in the scriptures by the name of Demas. He's a man that we meet multiple times in Paul's ministry. The first time we hear of him is in the book of Colossians chapter 4, where Paul says, Luke and the, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you, he says to the Colossians. 
And then when he writes his letter to Philemon, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. This verse tells us more that that Demas labored with Paul. He was involved in the ministry of the gospel. That Demas was highly thought of that Paul commended him in this ministry. Paul himself considers Demas a fellow laborer, like Mark, like Luke, and they're authors of gospels. But there's a final time that Demas is mentioned. This is one of those instances in which someone wishes they were less in the Bible, rather than more. It's in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Paul says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Demas grew weary. He grew weary of the struggle, grew weary of the ministry, grew weary of following Jesus, and he forsook Paul. He loved the world more than the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be a stern warning to you and to me. That God commands us not to grow weary, but to follow our Savior. Not to give up, but to persevere on. And so, I want to encourage you here this evening. Not to dwell on your own sin, because that can drag you down and make you grow weary. Instead, look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to His sufficiency. Consider what He has done and how He has redeemed you. And lay aside the weight of your sin and everything that would entangle. Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 12. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Consider the Lord Jesus, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. That, my friends, is the solution for weariness. It's Jesus. It sounds so simple, but it's absolutely true. The way that we Avoid growing weary in well-doing as we consider the one who has bought us with a price. We know that He is all-sufficient. And we serve Him because we love Him and because He has redeemed us. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and this week. And do not grow weary in doing good. Let's pray.